it's important for organizations to have a clear and decisive criteria that they can cite guides them in the risk-based decision-making frameworks, sort of that defensible argument uh, concept. Welcome to the RAIN Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Despite the ongoing challenges presented by the pandemic, you might have noticed more cars on the road, more planes in the sky. The world is actually opening back up, and with that reopening come important questions for the people who oversee international travel at their companies. On Call International's Vice President of Global Assistance Services, Ryan Stefano, is here to help sort out what we need to know about restarting travel and adjusting duty of care to a new normal. Stefano specializes in travel security, crisis response, and risk management strategies. Ryan, welcome. Thank you, Emily. Glad to be here. We keep hearing about this new normal that organizations are facing today. Can you talk to me about what this means from a duty of care and travel risk management perspective? Sure. I think we need to first put some definition around what is the new normal. When we discuss duty of care, we generally speak about the legal and moral obligation to provide reasonable care against foreseeable risk. The new normal, most likely in the short term, means traveling in a world with COVID-19 as people are starting to do now, and now a greater awareness or respect for the risks of infectious disease in the long term. Our travelers across the board will be faced with new constraints, new protective measures, and places as they move about. Once those markets are poised for re-entry, as we've started to see, I don't think our risk mitigation practices will have to alter drastically, albeit from some greater traveler awareness, adherence to local requirements, and the advised hygiene practices. That said, I do think organizations are faced with a greater need for due diligence, a robust go and no-go decision-making process, real-time alerts and situational awareness, especially as we think about um, reseeding and and, um, slipping back, and proper rapid repatriation planning as as you think about how we get our, our people back. You know, finally, I think that there's also this balance that organizations are going to have to play with this pressure to return to normal or pressure to be continue to be risk avoidant. Um, and as certainly we see as we enter into this kind of election year, there's a, a greater um, pressure amongst uh, states here in our own country and certainly even different countries um, across the world to either return to some level of normalcy or, or continue to be risk adverse. And I think organizations are going to have to balance that political context with their, um, their duty of care and their travel risk management. So this is particularly difficult or particularly trying for companies that do business internationally. Let's talk a little bit more about risk tolerance that you were talking about and how that could factor into an organization's travel restart strategy. You know, so in organizations generally thought of it, risk tolerance is kind of the barometer for what level of risk to their assets they're willing to accept in pursuance of their mission. You know, most organizations already knew that certain countries, and honestly anywhere, can carry a threat to the travelers of of an infectious disease. Um, However, I think most of us didn't consider this kind of uh, 20-year storm concept of a far-reaching and rapidly spreading pandemic that affected all of our locations, processes, and travelers. So when you think about risk tolerance moving forward, has the presence of COVID-19 adjusted that go-forward tolerance? And if so, are there variations in that tolerance based on the type of traveler or the length of the mission, you know, at-risk travelers versus healthy travelers, students versus faculty, you know, short-term um, trips for a conference versus long-term expat assignments. Those are the things you can start to weigh when, when looking at what risks we want to take and how much we're willing to tolerate. 
you know, you ask yourself the question, can you tolerate even one traveler contracting the disease? You know, and if not, that affects your strategy of even going. If you can tolerate, you know, potentially somebody contracting COVID-19 or exposing others, there may be additional protective measures or restrictions that you want to put into place, uh, even though you are tolerating that risk. I think, you know, as we look at what we're doing here domestically, you know, I, I was starting to think of this um, analogy with the schools. And schools are reopening across the country. Some are doing hybrid models. Some are still doing distance learning. Some are going full back to school. And as parents, people are making you know risk tolerance decisions based on that. And it's really no different. What measures are the schools going to have in place? Do I have at-risk folks at home? Um, am I worried about my child? So those elements and evaluating that with all the data and all the research that's out there is what organizations need to do similarly as they think about their operations overseas or their expatriates that they might be sending somewhere. And I, I think finally to end that risk tolerance discussion, you know, we, we've started to see more and more questions come to us about um, what the medical infrastructure is and uh, what the testing uh, availability is and some of those questions. And so um, people are starting to ask questions that aren't about can we go somewhere and more about if we do go, how are we going to handle a situation? And so you can see that level of tolerance is starting to come up, at least in some of the inquiries we're seeing. And then you ask yourself, if you put people out into that environment, into that situation, can you accept as an organization being in an environment where it slides back and where there is regression? And we're starting to see that obviously with some of our states here in the United States and some countries who have rolled back and gone more restrictive with their social distancing again um, because there's been an increase in cases. And so you need to be comfortable with that potentially occurring with where you're sending your travelers. Talk to me a little bit about tripwires and developing them, why those could be important when it comes to making restart decisions. So tripwires traditionally, we, we've always kind of seen them, it relates to kind of conditions that are present or that are emerging on the ground in the location that would cause you to consider increasing your security posture, increasing your medical infrastructure, or considering, you know, maybe even evacuating your personnel to get out of that environment. So when we talk about, you know, the situation we're in now, what we've started to refer to them to is, is pretty obvious is reverse tripwires. And basically, it's it's really simply answering the question of what needs to be true in order for you to consider the risk minimal enough to reintroduce your operations and or personnel into that environment. It's important for organizations to have a clear and decisive criteria that they can cite guides them in the risk-based decision-making frameworks, sort of that defensible argument uh, concept. We've started bucketing these under a couple of categories, you know, government warnings, uh, or an easy tripwire. What is, uh, for the United States-based organizations, what's the CDC level? What's the Department of State level? Um, operational status is the, a second category. What is the status of the borders? Can your uh, your nationalities even go into that country? What is the commercial flight availability? Is there enough uh, availability? Are they even flying into that country? What's the social distancing look like operationally? You know, how, So what's the environment going to be like? The medical infrastructure certainly becomes a, um, a huge concern. The COVID case trend, is it trending up or down? What's the hospital infrastructure look like? Do they have enough ventilators? Can they handle a surge or an increase? And then lastly, an organizational considerations. And those would be you know economic uh, or reputational considerations um, based on the types of people um, and types of missions that you have. You know, for instance, one of the groups that we see was kind of uh, not only did they not leave during a lot of the COVID surgeons um, when borders were closing, but were the first to want to get back out there are your, you know, your aid groups and your non-governmental organizations and faith-based. 
so they were the most eager to kind of start to get out there and so we're seeing a lot of inquiries in that in that realm um, but that may be different for a, a small organization who can sit uh, back a little bit longer or because they have uh, massive supply chain needs or critical operations they need to get people out and working and you know just thought of another example we were starting to see um, as you think about these reverse tripwires it may not be in a situation where it's completely uh, in, in a good condition where there's still a, a lot of risk or there's still a minimal amount of risk but you're willing to put some protective measures in place to kind of uh, overcome that risk and we were seeing that with some of the oil companies we had been talking to um, who were sending workers you know off to the rigs and they had to do it and in order to do that they wanted to make sure they were having the right protocols in place so temperature checks before they depart it off from shore, temperature checks when they arrived on the rig, uh, full sanitization, and, and lots of different measures that they were starting to consider in order to um, make sure they can continue operations. Ryan, what are some of those key factors that impact an organization's decision of when to resume travel? I've generally been trying to break these down into a simple framework for decision-making criteria. You know, first really is, can we go? So I think the first question organizations need to ask themselves is, can we get into the environment? And that's really based on the operational status conditions, such as are the borders open to allow our travelers, to allow our expats to enter the environment? You know, it's complemented with the availability of commercial transportation to even get into the country. Secondly, what are the risks if we go? Once the borders are open and there's adequate transportation, the data gathering really starts to turn to you know, COVID-19 case trends the local medical system's capacity to test, isolate, and treat for COVID patients. Third, what will it look like if we go? The government warnings and restrictions in place will start to educate on that variable. What U.S. embassy support would be available for your constituents? Are there essential services and are they easy to access? Do social distancing measures prevent a costly return to operations, where it's capacity constraints at certain venues, temperature screening, materials required in your environment to make sure people can return to work. And then finally, should we go? And, and that gets to some of what we had been talking about, which is the individual risk tolerances of the organization. And, and for that, we generally look to, you know, what are your peers doing? What's your benchmark? What economic risk reward is in play? You know, are there reputational or relationship risks for going or not going into the environment? Does your travel base even feel comfortable traveling? Um, so all these customized organizational variables help funnel that final decision. Uh, lastly, I think I had mentioned this earlier, when, when we talk about some of those key factors about when to resume travel, we have started to see people shift into this concept of uh, how, do we, how do we get out or how do we handle a situation if it was to occur? So you're starting to get the sense that people are making um, decisions about returning to travel when they can. Um, but the questions now are around what's the country's ability to handle it and what is the ease of dealing with that country if we needed to um, have, deal with a medical situation for somebody who contracted COVID? Could we evacuate them from that country if we needed to? And what is the provider capability to do that? So I'm starting to see a, a shift in the inquiries that we're getting, not to you know, can or should we go, but to, you know, how do we deal with situations when we start to do it? You've identified a lot of important factors that play into this decision, a, quite a list of moving parts. What are some logical steps for organizations to take to get a handle on this due diligence process? Great question. There's a lot of information out there now. Um, a cavalcade of databases that have come out that start to track 
what are the testing conditions in, in the different countries, what are the screening requirements, what are the visa requirements. And so these databases are, are popping up everywhere. You obviously have your news media and your articles um, giving out certain information. So people and organizations, I have no doubt, have been meeting regularly on COVID-19 risks and collecting data from from sources and discussing with their stakeholders what their concerns are. The next phase, I think, is really to refine that process so that you have that defensible position about putting people into these environments and as well as solid plans to mitigate and respond to those risks. So leaning on your assurance and assistance partners to understand your coverage uh, requirements and coverage needs, ex exceptions and exposures, receiving that intelligence on medical status, capability, and the contingencies for medical situations for those markets that you're desiring to reenter. And ensure you're receiving that credible, accurate, and specific intelligence. There is lots of reports of misinformation out there, so ensuring you're, you're digging into it to understand what is the real situation on the ground. And I can't stress that enough, that, that actively consulting with your organizational peer groups that are also in the same markets, reviewing industry guidance, and, and engaging in direct conversations with support agencies on the ground, um, all of those will make sure that you have a holistic and risk-appropriate response to um, re-entering a market and having the right contingencies in place. Can you guide me a little bit about what organizations and the people who might be traveling for them can expect to see once travel fully starts back up again? Yeah, I, I don't um, have a crystal ball, like, um, but, you know, we're starting to see some of it. You know, the phased reopening that we're seeing here in our own domestic environment in the United States certainly uh, mirrors similar tactics that are happening in other country. You know, of course, it will vary by, you know, what's going on with the COVID situation in that country and their culture and their risk environment. But I think, you know, there's a few things they should obviously be prepared to see. You know, there's going to be this concept of kind of slowly easing of border restrictions for international travelers. We're starting to see some of that. You know, the EU released their reopen plan where there was some uh, movement allowed in between borders. Um, and, you know, while U.S. citizens were not kind of a category on that list, there was exceptions for students. Um, so you can see that countries are going to be starting to make uh, more and more, I think, you know, limited exceptions and incentives to try to start to stimulate some level of travel, um, even though they may not be opening the whole environment up. I think along with some isolated travel bubbles, where we started to see some of those pop up where countries are agreeing to kind of mutual terms, and they are confident in each other's um, kind of protection practices to allow travelers to go in between the countries and create this kind of travel zone or this travel corridor. Um, I, I think, you know, similar to uh, when you think of security measures and like TSA and some of the countries that we uh, move to and from, there are certain countries where there's less security requirements and some where there's more based on the threat environment of that country based on our confidence of, of the security situation and, and moving those folks. So the, the requirements to have certain levels of screening um, from a security standpoint is going to be similar here, I think, medically, where until you establish trust and confidence in a, in a country's ability to um, be handling the COVID-19 situation and um, the social distancing that's in place, you're going to see the, that, that trust um, slowly build. There's certainly going to be the, the required utilization of face masks while you're in planes and, and transiting in public areas. 
There's going to be um, capacity constraints both inside and outside of those six-foot social distancing practices. We've seen, you know, countries have massive protests going on and, 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 and events happening where there's, you know, large volumes of people, which, you know, is, is as this returns, as people want to get to this uh, normalcy again, you're going to see a little bit of that be able to be limited. You know, medical screening, proof of negative tests, potential temperature checks upon entry, uh, and of course, the continued encouraged or even forced quarantine or isolation periods upon arrival um, that you'll continue to see. So I think that, you know, the, as you'll see things kind of slowly increase, the other piece of it is, is that we have seen countries and states roll back and move back because case counts start to go up. And, you know, and as we we rapidly approach into flu season again, uh, and I'm not a medical expert, but there's concepts of reseeding and resurgence of the disease before we have a vaccine. And you may have to be prepared for those environments to slip back and regress into more aggressive uh, closures and social distancing type practices again. Ryan, that was very helpful guidance. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Emily. Thanks for the time to talk to you. Ryan Stefano is VP of Global Assistance Services for OnCall International, which offers fully customized travel risk management solutions for travelers and businesses. OnCall is part of the RAIN network of companies. RAIN's community-based network is committed to helping individuals and businesses mitigate risk across four main categories – safety and security, cyber and information, geopolitical intelligence, and legal, regulatory, and compliance. If you like what you heard today and want to learn more, visit www.rainnetwork.com slash join. That's www.rainnetwork.com slash join. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.